You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show, joined today by Recovered Life contributor, Shauna McKinnavick. How you doing, Shauna? Honestly, Damon, I've had a rough couple of weeks. I'm glad to be here today. Uh, when I think of our last podcast from a couple of weeks ago about accepting life on life's terms, I had to listen to it a couple of times and listen to myself and remind myself uh, just about how to how to accept the things that are coming down because you know we shared in that podcast that we got to accept it, but we can still be joyful and learn from it. So that's how my couple of weeks have been. How about you? You know what? It's funny that you mentioned to that. I mentioned that I re-listened to that as well because I had I I've had a couple of weeks like that too, where life does not work out like you had planned it to work mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea of letting go, I, I I think it's such it's such a good episode. So if people, if you have not listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's really, really good. So I'm assuming, Shauna, you applied everything that we talked about and uh things turned around not have turned around with the result that I wanted, but they certainly turned around for me. I was able to say, okay, what can I learn from this situation or this experience and how can I apply it to my next one? And, you know, some days you can just be a two and sit there and be like, I'm just going to doom scroll on my phone and I'm going to let myself feel like crap. And uh, then you just pick yourself up, right? You still have the emotions to go through, but I definitely can say, you know, today I feel like a million bucks. You know, I think that's the hardest thing for me is like you said, it's okay to be a two. It's like for me, a lot of the times I don't, I, if I don't see the immediate change, I get very hard on myself. I double down on my thinking. Right. And it is that being able to kind of hold in place because bigger things are happening that I might not know about, right? And always right. if I could stick in there, it's always worked out for me. And I know you have a similar experience. Definitely. You know, Shona, I, I want to talk about talk about change here. Uh, we're doing an episode today on why interventions don't have to be an ambush. And, you know, look, in pop culture, we have that show Intervention. We mm-hmm. see things on TikTok, on Instagram, all the time on social about these really ambush interventions where people are crying and screaming and running out of the room but really interventions aren't like that right you are an interventionist most interventions don't go like that and they don't have to right well that's exactly it they don't have to and really when you look back at what it means to intervene uh, i looked up the definition you know mediate arbitrate conciliate negotiate act as peacemaker act as need intermediary that's what intervening is you're intervening in someone's life to help them make a change the you know the addiction um community have taken over the word as intervention so anybody hears it and they're like oh i can't even call an interventionist i don't want my family to have to go through that and that's not it at all interventionists are there to help the families figure out what's next they're you might not need a full intervention. You might just need some counseling or from family coaching or a link to somewhere or some treatment planning. Not every phone call to an interventionist. Like if someone called me, I wouldn't be like, okay, well, we're going to do a full-on intervention 
in the invitational style, it's a six month contract, which is how we do it as a rise interventionist, because change doesn't happen just in the, hey, let's meet everybody in a hotel room um, and give the the you know, the person of concern, their ultimatums, and then it's over. That's not, that's not how an evidence-based practice works. But to intervene, to make a phone call and say, you know, we're struggling with someone in the family, what would you suggest? Or perhaps they've said, I want to go to treatment. And so you don't really have to ask them to or invite them to, but you don't know where to start. They already know they need help. So Mm. making the phone call to intervene on behalf of someone is, I think people are, they're prohibited from doing it. No, that's the wrong word. They're, they're just reluctant. You know, they're fearful fearful because, you know, look, you see all this stuff on TV. And I think one of the things that I've learned from talking with interventionists like you and just, you know, seeing this go down is that most of the time interventions are not like that. Most of the time, the person knows they're being intervened on and and really intervention is about providing a solution and a path Mm -hmm. forward not about taking a bunch of things away. And I think that um, I, I think that that's the interpretation. And, you know, there's people that might be listening to this, Shauna, that are thinking about doing an intervention for somebody or involved in an intervention. And everybody, everybody's, I think, uh, perception of it is it's punitive. Really, interventions are punitive, right? Can you explain that a little bit? Well, the original model, so the Johnson model of intervention, it seems punitive because the family comes in, they tell them how much they love them, and then they say, we're worried about you and you have to go to treatment. And if you don't, we're going to withhold all that love from you, right? Or we're no longer in your life. And so that's the original model and the model that we see on, on TV. When you start looking at models like the Arise model or the love first model, it's more about getting the whole family together, recognizing that it's a family systems disease and a dealing dealing with removing the shame and the guilt from it and saying, you know, it it's not your fault. There's generational trauma here, but along with it, there's resilience and hope. And so we work with our clients over a period of time and it's an evidence-based model, uh, Damon, Um 60% of people that go through the whole six months, 62% are sober at a year because it is invitational and it's it's escalating, right? So the first meeting is not about do this or go. That's a level three intervention on, on the Arise scale. And most people don't make it past level two because everybody's involved. We're trying to take the person, um, the person who the family might call the addict, the the sick one, the whatever, and making them say a part of the circle as opposed to the center, right? And taking a look at the strength and resilience of the family through generations that we can get through this and we have to work together. So it's a very different model. It's much more invitational and it's very healing. The focus is on healing. You know, and and I, I like that you're talking about the healing side of it. I think one of the things too, that it was interesting to learn about interventions is also really it's almost more for the people who are doing the intervening. The recovery is mm-hmm. also for them as well. It's not oh. just for it's not just for the person who has the addiction problem because you were talking about this 
family unit. And can we dive into that a little bit? Because I think the more successful interventions that I have witnessed with, with people are, are the group, the family and the loved ones viewed it as if they were recovering, mm-hmm. not just right. the person who was going into treatment. Well, and that's the whole point, Damon, is that just because one family member is sick doesn't say that the rest of the family is healthy. We have adapted to them. We have enabled them. We have put them, um, you know, the we have our own issues. That's why people do have family therapy or do things we all have, especially if there has been some generational trauma. You know, we're all, it's the, the body keeps the score is a book that talks about, you know, how our bodies and our lives can, can reflect that. And we see patterns. So in our model, we go back a few generations to look at, you know, some of the challenges that they've had, but also how they've overcome them and the strength and the resilience that the family has. And, you know, someone in the family may be struggling with mental health and we're able to sit there and say, okay, so will recommend that, you know, maybe you start therapy as well. And so the whole family is healing because nothing changes, Damon, if you just send someone off to get treatment and they come back and there's been no healing or change in the family, our model stays with the family and we meet with them weekly for six months. When the person has decided to go into treatment, we also have them. There's no secrecy. There are not secret meetings. There are no ambushes. It's open. It's to get rid of that shame and guilt that we carry so much on. So it's really important that the whole family heal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, one of the things I think that people probably experience a lot in interventions is that they realize that they're codependent, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I know that's a huge one. It's like a yes. lot of times these interventions come up because people want to save people. Right. And, and they realize these inappropriate boundaries. Of course you want to save a loved one and you care and you don't want anything to happen to them, obviously. Right. But it's these right. boundaries issues. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think this is, um, this is interesting for me because you know, I don't think, you know, in the people that I have worked with, you know, especially regarding peer support and coaching, just my mm-hmm. own experience as somebody that's in long-term recovery and knowing a lot of other people that are in long-term recovery, rarely do you have people who are alcoholics or uh, have any kind of drug addiction that don't have some sort of dysfunctional family situation or codependency situation going on. Right, because we we create those maladaptive behaviors so that we can function. You know, we we enable so that we are able to do something or we're codependent and people pleasing because we don't want the person who's struggling with the alcohol addiction or suffering from the alcohol use disorder, or drug substance use disorder to explode. So we start to, you know, overly care for them, making it easy for them because we're afraid of that, um, that explosion. And uh, that happens, but, you know, I've listened to lots of different cases and casework and case studies. And, you know, an example is someone say the father comes and says, I'm worried about my son there or daughter and they're, you know, struggling with alcohol use disorder. So we start to have the family meetings. And then we start to look at and people are starting to be honest about what they're struggling as well. And someone might say, well, you know, I, I smoke, I smoke a lot of pot, right. And, oh, is that something, you know, that, and so then they want, they may want to change that, but then we run into 
trouble with sometimes, you know, I had, we had a weekly meeting and um, the person of concern was actually drinking with the stepmom, you know, because, and it's like, wait a second, I not, I wonder why, but that shows, you know, that there's sickness there. We've, we've signed up, we're in this group, this family unit saying we want to heal and then old behaviors come up or situational, you know, we're away on a family vacation. So of course I'm going to drink. And, you know, I was sitting up there and then they had a drink. I wasn't going to tell them to stop. So yes, there's a lot of codependency that comes from that, but even in, and we've talked about this before, Damon, it's almost like everybody's struggling with codependency right now. We do a lot of people pleasing. We live in this Pinterest perfect world and we just want everything to be perfect. And so we're adjusting everything. We're adjusting who we are um, and not showing up as our authentic selves and saying, you know what? I, I need help too. I have certain people pleasing behaviors and I don't know how to set a boundary to save my life. Clearly <laughs> don't know how to set a boundary to save my life because I am floundering here. I don't know how to say no. You know what? What do you, you know, don't you think a lot of times, I mean, I, I see this a lot where people, and I think this is human nature, and I don't mean to say that anyone who has this thought is narcissistic in any way, because I think it's just human nature. If somebody has a flu around you, you're concerned for them. And then the thought will go, well, I wonder if I have the flu too. And I see that with alcoholism a lot is that mm -hmm. a lot of the times families want to do a hard intervention, make it all about them, make it a you do this or not, because they don't really want to look at their own behavior, because if their son, daughter, spouse, whatever is an alcoholic, what does that mean about them? What about their drinking? Right. They don't want to right. question that there's anything wrong with them. And sometimes there's not anything wrong with them. But you know they're they're not a dysfunctional drinker don't have alcoholism or anything but do you do you see that a lot too it's like families trying to deal with and that's think that's where the drama comes in like you see mm -hmm. it's like families mm -hmm. trying to deal with their own crap like they come from three three generations shada of alcoholism and finally one finally their son or daughter or something is now going into treatment it kind of is one domino that hits their whole life correct knocks over everything <laughs> Right. And, you know, when you have someone, a family member suffering from alcohol use disorder, or drug um, substance use disorder, there's often a lot of trauma and chaos that comes. So people actually like the show intervention because a lot of people thrive on chaos and drama. You see it out there. You see it in videos just generally. Right. So you see a lot of people thriving on we that. We need to eliminate that. That's what our model does. Our model eliminates that. It is about the family healing. That is why everybody, you know, comes together, recognizes we have a, a strong family recovery message. We work with everybody's healing. And, you know, yes, it may surface that, you know, I'm using pot to self-medicate. I don't even know if they call it pot anymore, Damon. I'm showing my age. <laughs> I smoke pot uh, or weed or whatever, a THC um, to self-medicate. Or someone might be overusing their uh, their uh, ADHD medicine, right? And so, yes, it can surface that. But that's why the whole engagement is centered around healing, strength, 
resiliency, getting rid of guilt and shame and blame so that it's a place where people can say, you know, I think I'm struggling or not say I think I'm struggling, but just have an opportunity to reflect, to self-reflect and decide if they want to do something as well. Um, So by taking that model, it really takes the, the, well, the shame, blame, and guilt, getting rid of that is really, really key because what you don't want is the resistance to go. You want it to be invitational and to invite them and say, okay, would you like to go? Because people that are just sent to treatment often drink within weeks of coming out because they never wanted to go in the first place. They just wanted to get people off their back. By meeting weekly and having weekly goals as a family and focusing on family recovery and taking them out of the circle, reducing the chaos and drama that's going on, it allows them to make their own decision. Mm, And evidence shows, and evidence shows that if it is their own decision, they have a much greater chance statistically of staying sober for the long term. Yeah, and I do believe that there are certain things, especially mental health issues with addiction, where you have to do uh, wellness interventions where mm-hmm. the person just might physically need a timeout because they can't stop and they're is right. But you're right. Like if they don't really decide, Shauna, that they want to go into treatment, and and you know, and I think this is the the point of this episode, guys. If you're listening to this and have somebody, and if they don't have the desire at least an indication that they'd like to try that out. They'd like to pursue getting sober. There's really nothing that can be intervened with really. Right. I mean, no, I disagree. I'm going, I'm going to disagree with you on that because when you start to get into the intervention, pardon me, invitational style, when you start to do the continuing care as is in our thing, and we take that person out of the center, we make it easier for them to change their mind about that. They see other members of the family healing. And that's why it's a it's a slowly escalating process, right? It's a chance for the whole family to heal. Well, when they feel like the spotlight's not on them and people aren't on their back, but collectively as a family doing things to heal, then they may start because deep down, If we're suffering from substance use disorder, deep down, we do want to change and we do want help. But when our back is against the wall, you need to go to treatment. You need to change this. We'll dig in. Well, I'm I'm saying, I'm saying, no, I totally, I I totally, I totally get. And I think that's the worst way to be able to do it. And, you know, right. And I want to end this podcast also talking with the solution, because I think that that's important. But, you know, um, I'm talking about people who just have and and I've heard this from people. It's like, I do not want to get sober, not not I can't or I'm fearful to get sober. I just I'm not going to do I'm not ready. I'm not ready now. I don't want to. I I don't really think I have a problem. Right. Like a a lot. There is a lot of that with drug addiction, you know, and alcoholism. Sure. That is primarily that is addiction. Right. So when people are in the people are in the in the uh, in the midst of that thinking, you know, family members thinking, well, I did an intervention and it's a hundred percent going to work and I'm never going to need to be do another one. And just my presence there. And when they hear what I have to say is going to change their mind about wanting to give up drugs and alcohol. That doesn't always work like that. 
Never. No, I mean, it rarely works like that. But to your point about that, they don't want to at that time, they're they're in it. They don't see it as a problem. They're not enjoying it. Doing this style of intervention, Damon, if they don't come to the family meeting, they don't have to come to the family meeting. The family continues to meet, not to talk about the person because we don't have secrets, but they continue to meet so that they can continue to heal and meet their weekly goals or objectives or learn something new or try different styles of communication. And so they're working on their own selves. And then the person of concern may be invited, well, is always welcome to come anytime, but they might see that everyone's off their case and the family is doing better and seems happier in a work and maybe there's something to this or yeah. I want to be part of that. I don't know. But yes, I mean, if someone is deep in it and say, I really don't want to, and it's not time yet. And it hasn't, maybe it hasn't escalated and parents have intervened early on, um, which a lot are doing. I will say that because of the challenges with the with fentanyl being in, you know, found in different things and people overdosing, parents are taking their children's drug use very, very seriously because the uh, incidence of potentially dying is so high right now. So you're seeing um, earlier intervention um, because of that, but it's really tough. It's really, really tough if someone is just I'm not going to do it. But that's why the invitational style is with continuing care is so important because over maybe not the first week or second week, but maybe two months in the family's still meeting, they're doing their stuff. The person of concern might have hit another bottom and said, okay, well, I want a part of this too. Well, it is a wave. I think like what you're talking about is if the whole family catches the wave and it's moving, even if the person Mm -hmm. who's been intervened in doesn't, when they all of a sudden see that everybody's on that wave, another wave will come and they might catch it. Right. Like, so, so mm-hmm. I, I do agree. Like the family needs to move forward. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want to end this with solution here because I think one of the biggest things that I've seen, and I've, I've seen this in, you know, uh, in experiences that I've had with, with families and friends who have done these self interventions, right. That mm-hmm. the biggest problem, and you know, and I and I've gotten calls saying, "Hey, you know, you know, Bob or Sue or whatever, Betty, has they're just not getting it, right? Like they're just right. not getting it." And like we did this big emotional thing, and when I asked him, I said, "Well, what solution did you provide them at the right. end of it?" They go, "Well, what are you talking about? We just told them that they have to stop, and this is what it's doing, and it was an ultimatum." And I'm like saying, "You know what? Like many times." You know, and I know this was my case is like, I wanted to stop drinking, Shauna. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we've heard your stories, same thing with you, but like, I couldn't, right? Like, so mm-hmm. the thing is, is that if you provide an intervention without a solution, it's really, I think, just harassment. It's right. not, it, it's really torture. I mean, right? Like, like, so you have to provide a solution. And if you want out, this is how we get you there, right? This is the next step we're going to take, right? Like, can we talk about the solution, how to present that solution well to people? Because I think so many times they just go right in and it's all about the front part of it. And there's no substance to the intervention. Right. Oh, and it's so tough, Damon, when you're trying to do it on your own with a family member, the emotions run so high, the resentments are there. So you might start out with this plan. We're going to just tell them how we are. And within moments, it escalates 
and people are screaming and yelling. So it is really challenging to do an intervention on um, on your own without someone who's emotionally not there, who's able to mediate, who's able to redirect the conversation. But what is the solution? Well, that's the thing. How do you know what's out there if you're not talking to a professional? I mean, I know for me, I'll do 15 or 30 minute consultation calls. And, you know, that is just for free because I just want people to, you know, who are don't know what to offer their family to be able to find out, you know, you do a quick Google search of how to get someone to inpatient treatment. Well, you know, there's a lot of ads that may pop up, call us and treatment planners that might not be the right type. I always say go to the second or third page because there, there are um, companies there, but I don't think it's, I can't, I don't think I can give you just a straight answer, Damon. I can't say, well, this is the solution. They need to go to treatment because maybe they need to do intensive outpatient treatment somewhere locally and stay at home or partial hospitalization, or maybe they just need to be stabilized and go to detox and then have a plan that's created. So there are so many options on how to, on what to offer. Also escalating stages and different levels of treatment, depending on where the person is, because we've talked about um, the stages of change in a previous podcast. If they haven't moved forward enough in the stage of stage of change, like where they are, like wanting to do something about it, nothing you offer them will work. Absolutely. But if you offer them nothing, nothing's going to happen. And I think right. this is the, I think this is the offer big them thing, my you know? number. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I'll, I'll well, talk that's to why... anyone. I'll talk to a family member. I'll talk to someone suffering, you know, honestly, just call someone. Well, that's why I like this whole, that's why I wanted to do this and talk with an interventionist, right? About specifically what interventionists do, because there is so much confusion about it. Mm-hmm. And I like this about like the interventionist helps package the solution and then shows mm-hmm. you how to get them there in, in the most effective way. Right. Uh, right. And right. having that before you do these interventions is a big thing. I mean, I, I do know that it does happen. And I've had friends who have gotten sober who have turned to their family and say, I have a problem and I need yeah. help and I want to help find a solution. You know, rarely does it work like that. I've seen it's usually right. a lot of train wrecks and car crashes before that. Sure. But but I do think, you know, having that, um, you know, that really is the role of your interventionist is to help get that path forward and to be able to present that in a way that the, the person's going to understand the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. 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 Definitely. And I do want to touch on something before we close to intervene with someone who's sick with alcohol use disorder. We all know that. But someone may be having suffering also from mental health and mental um what's the opposite yeah. of mental wellness, mental, you know, impaired mentally and struggling with depression and can't figure out what the solution for that is. We work with that as well, Damon. We're resources for that. I mean, I I just took a client, well, I didn't take them, I arranged for them to go to an inpatient um, place that is mental health specific. So for anxiety, depression, cutting, and, you know, 
those types of, um, because they were suffering so badly that they needed some inpatient treatment. So, you know, we are familiar with all behavioral health solutions. We research, we visit places. I go on professional visits. We know what to recommend. So I don't, you know, if people are suffering from mental illness, then we we can help with that as well. And I just wanted to put that out there because it's not something we talk about a lot. We're always talking about alcohol use or substance use disorder. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think that that is so important is that I, you know, I see this is one of the big uh, flaws of peer support and being a huge 12 step fan. And I know you mm-hmm. are as well. Mm-hmm. One of the yes. big missteps I think is, is that uh, it's a cure-all for everything, right? Like one right. thing is a cure-all for everything. And I found that not to be the case. And sometimes just, you know, I, I've even recommended to people in 12-step groups who are having a hard time staying sober that maybe look like they have something else going on, like bipolar disorder or something else. Mm-hmm. Like there's other mm-hmm. things going on that they need an assessment that it's fine right. to go out and get in this, and you know, and this is the, and this is the thing, like, you know, I've had people tell me, it's like, oh, I think I need to get assessed. And I'm like, yes, you do. Like, even mm-hmm. if you don't agree with the assessment, it's good because if you hear Just that assessment one. three or four times, get one. So, you know, one medically you're okay, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a huge danger of coming off of drugs and alcohol, especially alcohol. Huge sure. danger. You know, we've had Huge. shows on this where people have mm-hmm. di- almost died, all this kind of stuff. So oh, I yeah. Think detox is so important. It's like so important. Um, medically supervised detox. It, I mean, it's not even just so important. It's necessary. Absolutely. You know, this but has back been to a what, great episode. I want to just, I just real quick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it was back to what you said about, you know, once you take away the substance use and you're starting to heal in your brain and in your life and your behavior patterns, you really have a chance to take a look at, you know, where is my mental illness or wellness and how necessary it is to address those because they've been hidden by the alcohol use and the substance use. And so now there's a chance to heal and no, the 12 step, the rooms don't heal heal everything. We, we still need to address some of that. Um, not some of that, but once you take away the alcohol, other things that were hidden will surface and we want to get well on every level. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, final thoughts here, Shauna, for somebody who is, uh, maybe listening to this and they're just afraid uh, they, they've seen this whole ambush intervention thing. Mm-hmm. And they're just afraid uh, a little ray of hope here. Uh, do interventions work? And and uh, you know what 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 what's your final thought on this? Interventions do work when done properly. When they're not the ambush style, and that would be the first question I would ask when calling an interventionist. How long do you work with the family? What is how do you do it? Do you have two secret meetings beforehand and then meet with the thing? Or are you meeting with the whole family? Tell me about your process. Is it evidence-based? What are the results from the model that you follow? And then work, you know, and I will point, I will say Arise Interventions, the Arise Network, Family First. Those are two that I am, you know, I can say without a doubt are really phenomenal programs for interventions. You may not need an interventionist. You can 
you know, look up treatment planners. You can, um, there is, there are lots of rays of hope. Uh, heck, my number will be on here. My email is Shauna at return to joy recovery.com. Shoot me an email. We can set up a call. Um, and I can direct you to, you know, if, you're better served by a different style of intervention or contact you, Damon, you know how to reach me. I just, yes. I don't want anyone to feel like they don't have someone to call because it's just a conversation. Absolutely. Information is power. We're going to put all of Shauna's contact information in the show notes, guys. Uh, if you're listening to this, getting value, definitely like, share, you know, send this to a friend, send this episode to somebody who maybe needs that education on it, is a little afraid of what's going on in their life and could use all of this information. Uh, Shauna McKinnavik, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Damon. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.